Terra incognita speculativa. Terra incognita speculativa. Welcome to this month's Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Stevenson. Put simply, Terra Incognita is the best Australian speculative fiction read by the authors who created it. And please visit tisf.com.au for links to our featured authors' website and publications. This month's author is Tansy Rena Roberts, a strong voice in the Australian speculative fiction scene for quite some years now. Tansy's novella, Siren Beat, was reviewed in TISF number 19, and her first novel, Power and Majesty, book one of the Creature Court series, has just been published by HarperCollins Voyager, and is, from all reports, a hell of a good read. Tansy's story for TISF, Fleshy, is a humorous science fiction tale, a cautionary story that proves boyfriends and cloning don't mix. From Kelly Clyde, mail to kellygirl at gmail.com. Sent Thursday the 4th of September, 2012, 11.59pm. To all address book. Subject, fleshy. This isn't going to make any sense to you unless I tell you everything, right from the start. Bear with me, and don't panic, no matter what you read. I need solutions now, helpful ideas... Lateral thinking. Not rescue squads or police cars or whatever. Reasoned response, not knee-jerk reactions. Bear with me. And please, read all the way to the end. This is what really happened. You always said you wanted a pet, said Matt. A pet, I said, eyeing the interloper on my bargain basement Persian rug. A kitten, maybe. A hamster, not a genetically modified lump of your DNA. Well, we can't get rid of it now, he said with a smirk. It's my own flesh and blood. Flesh, anyway. The mound of pinkish skin and fat currently residing on my carpet gave something of a bounce and a shimmy. Light played on it as if it were a particularly meaty thigh. Go on, said Matt. Touch it. You know you want to. I couldn't think of anything I wanted less, but I still found myself reaching out towards it. My fingers encountered warmth and flesh. When I shacked up with a genetic scientist, I expected to be invited to some very strange parties, but I never thought I would end up with a lump of bioengineered flesh on my carpet. What's it for? Ethical cloning, my beloved said quickly, as if he'd spent an hour or two in the car on the way home thinking up ways to sell the concept to me in 25 words or less. When it matures, it'll be able to grow and manipulate any organs or body components I need. I get in an accident, need a new kidney or a skin graft or a left leg. This beautiful creature can make one for me. How cool is that? I sighed. Well, I did say I wanted a pet. Evenings were the worst. Usually Matt and I spent them cuddled up in front of the TV, eating junk food and arguing over whose turn it was to watch their favourite show. But now, Fleshy wanted to cuddle with us. Fleshy. 
That was what we called it. I thought that the name might help keep things in proportion, help us to differentiate between it and, for instance, a living, breathing creature. The very word fleshy made my skin crawl, my tongue shudder. When Matt said it, though, it sounded like an endearment. He was getting fond of the thing. When Fleshy wanted to cuddle with us on the couch, Matt let it. When we dropped cheesel crumbs or stray noodles, Fleshy would open an eating orifice and slurp the tidbits down like a truffle hog on a mission. I worried a little that Matt was getting too fond of it, that he would mourn Fleshy like a roadkill kitten when it had to go back to the lab. As it turned out, well, Matt's hurt feelings weren't exactly the problem. I walked into the bedroom one Sunday afternoon and surprised them both. I thought you were gardening, said Matt, breathing a little quickly. Got bored, I said. Sorry, am I interrupting something? They were lying awfully close to each other, Matt and Fleshy. Matt looked flustered and embarrassed, and the lump of meat next to him was flushed. Plus, Matt's trousers were unzipped. It's not what you think, he said. Were you doing what I think you were just doing? I thought of the little orifices that Fleshy created when he wanted to eat our scraps. I'm going to throw up. You have a vibrator, Matt said defensively. That is so not the issue here. I stared at him and he stared back. Do you honestly not see the difference? He didn't. I went back to the garden and weeded the bejesus out of the azaleas. And then, a few nights after that, I woke up in the early hours and found Fleshy lying next to me, very still. The doona had slid down a little, and I found myself staring at a perfect replica of my left breast. It jutted out from Fleshy's general mass, mirroring mine exactly. I smacked Matt between the shoulder blades until he woke up. What? Did you make fleshy from just your DNA? What's going on? Did you? Yes, he said finally, wiping his eyes. Just my DNA. Why? Because your creature is trying to copy me. He lifted his head over my body and checked out fleshy's new appendage. <laughs> you know, we could always use another one of those. I smacked him again. This is serious, seriously creepy. What if it's trying to replace me? No one can replace you, sweetheart. You're your own special person with your own special paranoias. Can I get back to sleep? Just promise there's nothing of me in that thing. It's all me, babe. He rolled over, grinning. I pushed Fleshy out of bed and took some satisfaction in the dull smack as it hit the floor. If you want boobs, find a damn website. Fleshy's new breast gave me a reproachful look as it humped its way out of the bedroom. Reproachful, but perky. Do you think it's getting bigger? I said, trying to remember what size Fleshy had been when it arrived. It definitely seemed more elongated as it turned the corner into the hall. The way the shadows played on its taut surface. Oh yes, it was getting bigger. A week after that... I was retrenched and promptly rehired by my company on a limited contract. The upshot being that from now on I'd be working from home, just me and my laptop. No office full of friendly women in cute shoes, no birthday cakes and celebration pies, no Friday night piss-ups in the pub. It was fucking brilliant. Except for one thing. 
Fleshy and I had been avoiding each other whenever Matt wasn't around. But now, with me home 24-7, Fleshy was going to have company on the couch when it came time for The Bold and the Beautiful. Yes, Fleshy watched soaps. Many, many soaps. No, it didn't have eyes, but it still sat there for hours every day, its quivering mass of flesh and muscle somehow enraptured by the glow of trashy TV shows. For the first week, I worked mainly in the kitchen, tapping away at my computer and making endless cups of tea for myself. Fleshy stayed in the other room, inhaling Dr. Phil, Days of Our Lives and Neighbours. Finally, one morning, I cracked. Maybe it was the stress of not having any workmates to bitch about. I grabbed a packet of Scotch Finger Biscuits, headed for the living room, and plopped right down on the couch beside our special friend, slash mascot, slash housemate, slash stalker. So, fleshy. I haven't watched this show for a while. Is this Brooke's 30th wedding to Ridge, or 31st? Fleshy didn't say anything, but formed an orifice to take in the biscuits I offered. The orifice quirked up at one side, almost like a smile. I took that as a positive sign. By the time Matt got home that night, Fleshy and I were the best of friends. I was in the shower when I heard the front door open and close, and then the low murmur of Matt chatting about his day with Fleshy. I was working really hard not to be jealous that he wasn't bitching about his stupid boss and high-maintenance workmates to me, the actual girlfriend. I gave my hair a second conditioning just to show Matt how desperate and clingy I wasn't. After at least ten minutes, during which my hair became the cleanest that anyone's hair has ever been in the history of the universe, the bathroom door opened. About time, I said. I know you prefer conversations where the other person doesn't talk back. I get it. But you could at least pretend to be interested about my day. Matt opened the shower door and stepped inside with me. I could feel his warmth radiating through the pouring water, but I didn't turn around. I knew that I could avert the coming argument with a few passive niceties, just like he thought he could avert it with sex, ha, <laughs> as if. But I didn't care. I'd been talking to the walls, and a blob of spare DNA all day. I wanted a fucking argument. You spend so much time worrying about that lump of skin and fat on the couch in there, but do you ever spend five minutes thinking about what you're doing to me? I'm going to need some serious therapy once this gross little experiment of yours is over, I can tell you. Matt placed his hand on my hip. In the way I used to love back when we were first having sex and everything was an adventure. I shivered a little, and he moved in behind me, cupping my body with his own. Something was wrong. Something was very wrong. Part of me wanted to pull away, even as his hand slid over the front of my hip and curled into my pubic hair. Instead, very casually, I arched my neck into the flow of the shower, and tilted my head so I could look at him properly. My boyfriend had no face. Ah! I flung myself away from him so fast that I ricocheted off the tiled walls and crashed in a pile of legs, arms, foam. There was a knock on the bathroom door. Kelly, you all right? asked Matt. What the hell do you think, you fucking maniac? I shrieked. Get in here, right now. The door opened, and there was the second Matt, the one with the face and clothes, and beneath those clothes a proper penis that in no way resembled a rolling pin. Whoa, he said. It was coming on to me, I wailed, trying to cover my bruised and foam-flecked body with a washcloth and a shampoo bottle. It was trying to have sex with me. Fleshy, six-foot, mat-shaped fleshy, 
perfect in all detail, except for a blank, formless face, and a cock huge enough to terrify a racehorse. He glanced at Matt, and then looked back at me. It didn't move, but its whole body radiated confusion. Matt eyed Fleshy's massive penis. I wonder if they let me try a transplant, he said in awe. Don't you dare. What the fuck is going on? Matt clapped Fleshy on the back with something like camaraderie. He's matured, that's all. This is the penultimate stage before we take him back to the lab to write up our results. He grabbed a towel and tossed it to me. Excellent. Looks like we'll be ready for the next round of funding applications. I wrapped the towel around me and stood up very slowly. Are you saying that you knew this was going to happen? Sure. I mean, not the enormous dick thing, but the general idea. Fleshy was always intended to grow big enough to replicate a whole human. It was in the pamphlet. I showed you the pamphlet, right? I gave him my most dangerous expression. Do I look like a woman who was prepared for this situation by a pamphlet? Matt cooked dinner. Frankly, it was the least he could do. He amused himself trying to teach the newly human-shaped fleshy to cut carrots into small enough cubes for fried rice. So, what's the plan? I asked, as a slice of carrot ricocheted off the fridge. Plan? Matt said innocently. With fleshy? You said you'll be writing up your results soon. Then what? He just hangs around our house for the next fifty years on the off chance you need a liver transplant some day? Course not, said Matt. That'd be a huge waste of resources. Our ultimate aim is to develop a fleshy prototype you can grow into that in like three hours. So what happens to this fleshy once you get your next funding application in? Fleshy's formless face tilted towards Matt as if it too were interested in the answer. Matt didn't answer me right away. Then he laughed and shrugged. You know. Tell me. I'm interested in your work. Okay, I was being a bitch. But had he really not noticed how tightly Fleshy's doughy fingers were gripping that knife handle? Matt's eyes flicked to Fleshy, and I think he went a little pale. Well, find him a good home where he can live out his days, he said, in a bright liar's voice. Somewhere in the country, I suggested, getting the picture. Maybe a farm, he agreed, grinning as if it was the funniest joke ever. I really didn't need him to step back out of Fleshy's line of sight and draw his finger across his throat. Thing is, Fleshy didn't have eyes, but that didn't stop it from watching television. I didn't imagine that whatever it saw through was confined to the blank face at the front of its head. You would have thought that Matt, being the brilliant scientist that he was, would have thought of that. Later, when we were in bed, Matt elaborated on Fleshy's future as symbolised by his charming throat-slashing gesture. We have to reduce him down to his component molecules, he said, as if it made all kinds of sense. It's the final stage of the experiment. I can't believe you call it him, and yet you're quite happy to kill it. You don't even like him. What do you care? You said it would be our pet. You don't keep a pet for six months and then send it off to be reduced to its component molecules. He was obviously tired and bored with me. I'll get you a hamster. I don't want a hamster. I want... <sighs> what did I want? Equal rights for fleshies? I was grossed out by the whole thing. Fleshy was one part house pet to two parts stalker, and I was still freaked by that incident in the shower. 
Did I really want to spend the rest of my life sharing the house with a brainless mound of flesh that was physically capable of raping me? Forget it. Never mind. Thursday was the last thing Matt said before he went to sleep. What? Taking him into the lab on Thursday. He'll be out of your hair then. Thing was, Fleshy didn't act like a potential rapist. In fact, after the shower incident, it seemed to be going out of its way to act non-threatening around me. It was never the giant cocked man shape when we were alone together, but the familiar lump of muscle and fat, now about the size of a small cow. When Matt insisted, it would shape itself into the copy of him. He never ceased to be annoyingly amused by that. But Fleshy always dressed itself decorously in Matt's clothes. By the time Wednesday rolled around, the day before Fleshy's date with the lab, I was feeling pretty bad about the whole thing. It wasn't like it had meant to scare the hell out of me in the shower. Taking it personally would be like punishing some retarded guy for flashing at you in the park. It's hard to hold a grudge when the grudgee is about to be atomized in the name of science. And then there were the feet. Later that day, I was painting my toenails in front of the bold and the beautiful, a regular ritual by now. Working from home rocks. Fleshy was mimicking my actions, something I was used to by now. It stretched one leg out from the general fleshy mass, placed its foot on the coffee table, and flexed its toes, just like I was doing. They were my toes. No, seriously, my toes. They curled up the way mine did, and the second one was longer than the big one and the nails were the same shape, except the little one. My left little toe had never been the same since the horrible sandal and bicycle incident when I was twelve. But fleshies were perfectly rounded with the same amount of nail I used to have in those pre-sandal and bicycle days. I slowly lowered my nail polish brush. Can you do faces now? The detail on those toes was amazing. Slowly, fleshy stretched into mat shape. The blank patch that used to serve it for a face blossomed outward, showing me every detail of Matt's face, without the personality to light it up. Matt's genetic face, not the real one. Matt had broken his nose a couple of times in his uni rugby days, while Fleshy's was absolutely straight. Now mine, I said. Fleshy morphed its face from Matt's into mine. It looked wrong, and it took me a couple of minutes to figure out why. It was my real face, not a mirror image. Son of a bitch, was all I had to say. And then I called a locksmith. Why the hell have you locked me out? Matt howled through the letter slot in the front door. I leaned in close, so I could speak in nice, threatening, low tones, but he could still hear me. You lied to me, you son of a bitch. Fleshy has my DNA too. Matt hesitated for a moment, and I knew it was true. Asshole! What? I mean, obviously I should have asked you, but Steve already had a single DNA Fleshy in his attic. We needed to see if a dual DNA one could produce organs that would be equally useful to both donors. Parents, I said, between gritted teeth. The word you are looking for, you fucking maniac, is parents. When you combine DNA of two people, what you have is offspring, not experimental spare parts. Let me in and we can talk about it. Your clothes and your iPod are in the garden. I reported you for spousal abuse and applied for a restraining order. 
Fuck off. No, my darling, you fuck off. You have property belonging to my corporation in that house. Do you think I don't realise how illegal your experiments on Fleshy are? I'd like to see you try and get the police on your side. Kelly, he sounded desperate, emotional. We haven't taken the final swabs. I need Fleshy. I could lose my job over this. I'm calling the police right now, I said, and started pressing buttons on the remote handset. Just then, I heard breaking glass from the back of the house. Did you bring someone else? Yeah, that's Steve. Come on, open the door, Kel. Your friend just broke our window. I pressed the call button on the phone, but Fleshy laid his cool fingers over mine and disconnected. What are you... I asked, then swallowed the words. Wasn't like he could talk back. Fleshy smiled strangely. Matt's smile. He gestured down at the clothes he wore, and I realised they were the same as those Matt had left the house in that morning. Men, this is why buying three copies of every shirt you wear is a bad thing. Do you really think you can fool him? I whispered. Fleshy nodded. And then dark brown spread over his scalp, lengthening into something approximating Matt's hair. Well, it was more like Ridge from the Bold and the Beautiful's hair, but it was pretty close. Eyebrows, stubble, fuck. I heard footsteps in the laundry underneath the house. Steve had let himself in. What are you going to do? I asked Fleshy. Fleshy just reached past me and opened the door. Matt threw himself inside and stared in horror at the near-perfect replica of himself. What the... F he recovered quickly, smirking at us. You can't think you're going to fool Steve. You can't bloody talk, can you? I glanced at Fleshy, prepared to be unsurprised at anything he did now, but he just smiled and shook his head. Then he reached out and slapped his hand over Matt's face. Fleshy's hand stretched, sealing a thin film of flesh over Matt's nose and mouth. Stop it! I yelled and pulled at Fleshy's arm but he battered me away with the other, sending me into a wall. Matt's eyes bugged out as he realised he just couldn't breathe. It wasn't long before his body went limp. "'Matt!' Steve called, somewhere in the house. "'Kelly, cut myself climbing in the damn window. Got any band-aids?' I started crying, messily, when I realised that Matt had stopped moving. I'd just about gotten used to the idea that he was a liar and an asshole, and I was kicking him out of my life.' I wasn't ready to deal with him being dead. Fleshy did not let go. Matt's body began morphing before my eyes because, oh yes, Fleshy hadn't just been designed for cloning purposes. Either that, or there was one hell of a bug in the system. By the time Steve got to us, a tea towel wrapped around his bleeding forearm, there was a pulsing lump of flesh on the hall carpet waiting for him. At Fleshy's blank but commanding stare, I had hidden the damp remains of Matt's clothes behind the bookshelves. Kelly, Steve said, shaking his head. It's not like it's a person. You women are so bloody emotional sometimes. I leaned against the wall. Matt, or the thing that looked like him, had one arm slung around my shoulders as the tears dribbled down my nose. Steve lifted the mass of flesh, oofing a little at the weight. You want to come back to the office with me, mate? Matt rolled his eyes at me, 
a gesture that said it all. Yeah, Steve said with a grin. Shouldn't have told her, mate. I never told Trace about the one in my attic. See you back at the office. And he left, carting the empty mound of flesh with him. I stepped away from Fleshy as soon as the door closed. I don't know why I hadn't given him away to Steve, except, well, he hadn't hesitated to shut down Matt, had he? I couldn't imagine he was going to have any reservations about closing off my air supply if I showed signs of rebellion. We just stood there together for a really long time. Finally, I broke away. Neighbours is on. Fancy a cuppa? And now I'm lying in bed, listening to my own breathing. Matt, not Matt, not Matt. I, I keep forgetting. It looks so real. He's lying next to me. He only breathes when he remembers to. This is where you come in. Because I don't know how to get out of this. It's been a week. Steve hasn't come back. He has to know what Fleshy did by now. There haven't been any phone calls asking when Matt's coming into work. But I don't think he's coming to rescue me. I've thought up excuses to leave the house, but whenever I go to fetch milk or bread or whatever, Fleshy comes with me. He walks by my side, gawping at the sights of our little suburb and the corner shop and the trees and the birds and the children in playgrounds. I worry sometimes about the children in playgrounds. But mostly... I worry about me. I can't see how he can be stopped. I certainly can't see any way for me to escape without ending up as a pound of flesh on the kitchen floor. If I get the police in here or the army or whatever, I'm somewhat concerned that they won't even make a dent in fleshy. And, um, I think he's growing spawn in the laundry. I found five little lumps of knuckle and, well, flesh this morning. I rather suspect that this might be an end-of-the-world scenario. But I can't think of anything. I can't save myself, let alone the world. So I just work at my laptop, and I eat regular meals, and every day we sit down to watch our soaps together and paint our nails. I'm scared all the time. I'm sleeping with a monster. You know me. Most of you knew Matt. So think of something. Get me the hell out of here. Help me. Please help me. Please help me. Your friend, Kelly. Terra incognita speculative reviews. This month's review book is The Life Lottery by Ian Irvin. The Life Lottery is the final chapter in Ian Irvin's eco-thriller Human Rights Trilogy, and I'd have to say the most disappointing. The central engaging idea that drove books one and two was the conspiracy by a group of extreme greenies who decided that the only way to save planet Earth was to drive humanity to extinction. Thus arose the Terminator Gene Project. It was a concept that was at once visionary and terrifying in its callous logic. But sadly, the impetus of that threat was neutralised at the end of book two by unwilling heroine Irith Hardy. So what we're left with in book three is Irith's involvement in the last desperate efforts to save our teetering biosphere from total collapse. But Life Lottery takes a long time to get to the point. 
The first two-thirds of the book focuses on subplots which increasingly test the bounds of believability and which don't appear to mean much in relation to the main story. One detour concerning a videotape with the potential to bring down the UK's newly elected fascist government is finally resolved off-screen, leading me to wonder if that part of Earth's journey was truly necessary. Although the portrayal of a global rise in racial intolerance due to massive amounts of displaced refugees is well taken, particularly in view of recent events closer to home. It's in the back third of the book that we get to the main course of the life lottery, the scientifically plausible portrayal of a global environment in trauma, the various projects put forward to prevent a collapse, and what eventually happens to Mother Earth and her unruly borders. But writing about such world-spanning events isn't easy. The individual character-driven viewpoint tends to get lost. Witness the recent Ultimate Disaster movie 2012 for a case in point. Human rights was about one woman's stand against the end of the world. But down at the pointy end, there isn't much room for the intimate and personal in amongst all the big events. Which is a pity, because between all the detailed science, which, knowing Ian's background, I'm sure is right on the money, the central character of Irith lost focus and drifted away, and ultimately I ceased to care. Two stars. The Life Lottery by Ian Irvin is published in Australia by Simon & Schuster. You have been listening to Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction Podcast. Visit tisf.com.au for links to the featured author's websites and for details of their publications. Stories are copyright by the author. Book reviews are copyright Keith Stevenson, 2010. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 Australian license. See our website for details. Please tune in next month for another podcast of the best Australian speculative fiction read by the authors who created it.